Earth podcast with your host, Jake Weaver, engineered by Cedric Swan. Hey, everybody, we are back with another episode of Midnight on Earth. I'm your host, Jake Weaver, and we're here to bring you more knowledge, more light, and more love. We have an incredible guest this week. All of our guests are so good. We bring you the best guests. This incredible woman is no different. We have Mona Sabani here. She wrote an incredible book about her journey from being a scientist to grasping these high-frequency concepts. It's absolutely incredible. It's called Proof of Spiritual Phenomena, and we're going to talk to her in just a second. But first, I need you to do something for me. Go to patreon.com slash midnightonearth. That's right. We have a Patreon page now where you can go to give me your direct support. There are different tiers of support. When you go to that website, you can choose a tier that suits you the best, the tier that you can accept, that you can integrate into your life because I'm giving everything to make sure this gets out there more, to make this podcast expand with your help by allowing your monetary energy to power this. It's like a battery. The more energy, the more it expands. You're actually directly helping the human race. And with your direct support, we can get this really good information out there, this really evolutionary information out to more people. We need it to get out. We need to evolve, all of us. So help me, people. Go there. Patreon.com slash Midnight on Earth. And when you're done with that, follow me on Instagram at Midnight underscore on underscore Earth. That is the address. You can follow us there. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, wherever you go to get your podcast, click that button that connects us so you know when somebody incredible like Mona's coming on, you get that notification right to your phone or whatever device right away. It's instant. It's omnipresent, perhaps. And of course, tell a friend. Tell someone that you know that loves these type of podcasts. You know them, you know their frequency, you know my frequency, match our frequencies for me. Do that for me. Bring them here, midnightonearth.com. Okay, well, we're just about to talk to Mona, but we're going to read her bio. So here we go. Mona Sabani, PhD, is a cognitive neuroscientist, author, and entrepreneur a former research scientist at the University of Southern California. She holds a doctorate in neuroscience from the University of Southern California and completed a postdoctoral fellowship at Vanderbilt University with the MacArthur Foundation Law and Neuroscience Project. She is the author of Proof of Spiritual Phenomena, a neuroscientist's discovery of the ineffable mysteries of the universe, which is what we talk about constantly. This is our bread and butter here. And she's here. Her work has been featured in the New York times, 
Vox, and other media outlets. And currently she lives in Los Angeles and we are so blessed to have her here. Hello, Mona. Hi, thank you for having me. Wow, what a book you wrote. This is just incredible. I love it when I read guest books because I develop this connection with the story, especially when there's so many resonant concepts that we talk about here on this show. Tell us about this. So you were a very three-dimensional person. Your world was in the third dimension. You were not including information from other places. Tell me about that part of your life. Yeah, it was, um, I was a, I mean, I am a cognitive neuroscientist and I was a, you know, believer in, um, that the universe was, that is random and mechanistic. Um, you know, the things they teach you (laughs) in school and in graduate school for sure. And I, I, I think when I was younger, I was a little more, uh, open to the mysteries of the universe, just kind of like, oh, it's such a miracle that we're here. And, and, you know, sometimes I would have these crazy coincidences happen in college, and I would wonder about them. But then, as I went through graduate training, and particularly in neuroscience, they train you that the brain is a coincidence detector. So the reason you think things are related to each other, or are coincidences is because your brain is literally looking for those um of coincidences like it's always looking for meaning and tying things together so they you know they taught us that they they told us that you know all meaning is created in the human brain like there's no external meaning in the world nothing has inherent meaning it's all created from us so you, you know you go through this this training and they never um <laughs> take a step back to explain that scientific materialism is a philosophy and that that's what science is based on and that there's other philosophies, but that we are, you know, they never explain any, there's no um, philosophy of science. So you just kind of learn it as though, oh, like they must have, somebody must have tested this and deemed it as the truth and reality. And so now I'm, you know, you believe it. So then I operated in that framework. Well, I do want to back you up a little bit because you were a very rationally, like I said, third dimensional focused human. However, there were parts of your life where the strange, the metaphysical showed up. You discovered Wicca before high school. And of course your mother's coffee readings. Like let's tell our audience about this because I'm going to be completely honest. I mean, I knew about teen leave reading, right? Mm. Like that's pretty common. I did not know that some cultures on earth could read coffee grounds, the coffee grounds at the bottom of a coffee cup and extrapolate very accurate information about the past, present and future. Can you enlighten us a little bit about that and your experiences with that, with your mother and your, and your grandmother being so powerful in that way as well? Yeah. So I'm Persian and our culture and a lot of other Middle Eastern cultures, I know, um, like Greek, Turkish, Armenian, um, they, we have this kind of thicker coffee. It's not like American coffee. It's like um, a thicker <laughs> kind of coffee that you leave it in the cup, the grounds in the cup, you drink the coffee, and then you leave the grounds in, you flip the cup over, let it dry, and then images emerge, you know, like pictures. It looks like sludge. <laughs> I, I think I put a picture of it in the book. Oh, yes. But um, yeah, so it's like, and then you have somebody who's a reader look at the picture and I'm sorry, look at the grounds and try to tell a story. They try to look for for um, symbols, really, is what it is. My mom 
says, you know, if, if you see a snake, it, it could mean an enemy or it could mean money. If you see a turtle, it means something is developing or slowly, right? Because turtles are like slow. Um, so, and she learned the symbolism from her mom, who presumably learned it from her own mother. Um, and so, yeah, my grandmother was a really great reader and my mom um, inherited the gift and she would do it for, uh, you know, uh, family members, family friends at our family parties. And it was always there. I never paid attention to it at all. And until when I was in graduate school, I would come home on the weekends and we would have coffee together. And then my mom would, you know, kind of absentmindedly start reading the cup to me. And I remember um, <laughs> I, I didn't, it's not that I, I didn't believe it or not believe it. I just would listen. I didn't take notes at first. I would just listen. But then I noticed um, this since this happened every week that some of the things that she said would would start coming true. And so then I started taking notes. Um, and I was like, oh, well, because I couldn't remember. I'd be like, well, did I remember that correctly? Or, you know, right, I don't know. Right. So I was like, I'll just take notes. So then I started taking notes and realized that she was more right than she was wrong. Um, or when she was right, it was like really right. <laughs> like it would be on multiple variables about something there's no way that she could know that was going on in my life, usually about things that I wouldn't even know were going on that would then unfold months later. And that's what I found really interesting is um, she would, you know, say things related to, let's say, work, where even I wouldn't know it was coming down the pipeline. So there's no way she could know. Um, and so those things really caught my attention. And I didn't know how it worked, especially the symbolism, because in science, we reduce everything to atoms and molecules. So symbols didn't make any sense to me because that would mean that they have an inherent meaning and that would went against my paradigm. So I couldn't understand it. Like, and periodically I would try to think about the mechanism behind the readings, like what could be going on, but I didn't have a lot of knowledge about this field. So I didn't have a lot of I just didn't really have a way to put words to it or a way to even think about but, it. But you didn't, didn't dismiss it though. That's the thing. Like you no. definitely trusted yeah. your mother. I mean, you, you felt like that yeah. was accurate information. So regardless of how your mind developed as you went, you know, in the field of science, you, you still kind of had that in the back of everything, you know, that, that yeah. true knowledge. And it was, I mean, it was a matter of fact that it worked. Right. And I think that's what really did it for me. I mean, the other thing is like, it's not like I was paying my mom. It's not like she was trying to impress me. You know, it, it was this unique <laughs> right. relationship where I knew what she knew and what she could and could not know. And she was not trying to, you know, again, impress me or put on a show. So it was this kind of unique relationship where I, I was like, I'm this, you know, the things she says are matter of fact come true. And so I don't know how, but it works. And I just kind of accepted it. And yes, in, in the book, you relate some of those stories and there's a lot of detail in certain situations, enough to give you the sense that there is information, accurate information coming from somewhere that's not linear, right? Yeah. So like you, yeah, yeah. you, you knew that was real, like whatever that is, you couldn't define it. Maybe you thought mm -hmm. about the mechanics behind it, but it was still outside of most people's minds to really grasp it, especially you at that time. So even yeah. though, like I said, you, you, you made that leap towards science, it, that was always a part of you. So that's really interesting yeah. to think about it that yeah, way. That's true. And, <laughs> then, 
And then The Secret, right? Wasn't that a big part of your life, the Rhonda Byrne movie, The Secret, or did you discover the book first? Well, I think I just, I don't know. I think I read it. Oh, okay. I don't think I bought it, though. I think one of my friends had bought it, and she gave it to me, and I read it, and then we were all, I mean, we were all, it was huge in the culture at the time, so you right. couldn't avoid it. I Like, I'm sure Oprah had her on the show or something. I don't know. but oh, It was everywhere. It was everywhere. And I just remember everyone was talking about it and parts of, I mean, the book is like, has no, it's just quotes really. Like if I remember it correctly, I remember there wasn't a lot of like subs. It was just like words and a few quotes and pictures, <laughs> but um, the concept behind it, I remember um, like when I was a kid, the re like when I was into Wicca and stuff, um, I would for fun, uh, like imagine things that I wanted and like when my parents were looking for a house I remember um and my mom always um, reminds me of this like for some reason I had written down like um something about uh some some part of the new house having blue in it and I don't even remember why I wrote that but anyway the house we ended up getting and I didn't show that to my parents right it was like my secret in my notebook and my like the thing <laughs> I did in my room by myself when I was 12 um, and then when we, when they bought a new house, um, the shutters like on the home were blue. And I remember I like showed it to my mom and she was, um, she, I know this is a silly example, but she was, she was really like, oh my God, do you, you, she didn't use the word manifest, but you know, she said like, oh, you kind of like helped it come true or something. And so I think because of that, you know, I think that my, mom um, does believe in, you know, imagining what you want and putting it in your mind space, if you will, in your psyche so that, it, you know, it, you can either manifest it, whether it's metaphysical or it primes your brain's attention network or whatever, um, you, you can help bring it to fruition. So because I kind of had that, I think that um, the secret, even though I, I recognized from a scientific standpoint, I was like, I don't know if any of this is true. Like, you know, I didn't know physics. I did. I mean, I didn't know you know, physics in depth or quantum physics, anything, any of that, but it kind of resonated on some level. I was like, you know, I really do think if you, um, you know, whether it's neuroscientifically, psychologically, or metaphysically, that if you write things down and, you know, feel with emotion and focus on those things, you're more likely to bring them into your life. So it, it resonated. <laughs> wow. So, okay. So that's the thing. So you really were like secretly, you were like, the scientist person, but behind the scenes, you still had all these other experiences. So you did have that foundation, which is super cool because that helped you, I think, right? Because like you said, belief affects behavior. That's such an incredible power that we have as humans because that creative force, that energy that we're in this body, whatever that is, that's connected to the primary creative force, which yeah. I don't know what that is. I, it's a mystery, but that's okay. Yeah. Even yeah, though, even, like you said, you don't like mysteries. <laughs> I, <laughs> I'm more open to mysteries now. <laughs> but um, yeah, I, and I think that the, I think when you actually learn more and more about neuroscience, I remember thinking, oh, this is, um, I'm going to debunk this or whatever as time went on. You actually find that the power of the mind is is pretty incredible and that you can, you know, even in human behavior or physiology or immunology or whatever, like the power of the mind is pretty, pretty incredible. 
It has infinite power. It has all the power of the entire universe. It's just our physical vehicle and that consciousness is throttled in such a way that we don't have access to that full power, but it's there. And some yeah. people can train themselves. You think of the gurus of the world or people mm -hmm. like the ascended masters, you know, yeah. all, all of the great religious figures of the world. They had that ability to bring that in more. Yeah, exactly. And I remember thinking or, you know, because I frequently step back into my old me shoes to kind of remember like <laughs> what it was like or how I would respond to something. And I remember they and because I would see this in my professors or see this in my colleagues at the time, we would systematically um, dismiss things as anecdotes. And then and then you were okay with it, right? Like you you weren't focused on this, so it wasn't a problem to you. So then fast forward to new me though, it becomes a problem when there are so many anecdotes and there's so much evidence and there's so many witnesses. And so it's it's interesting to kind of, you know, throttle between those two sides and be like, yes, they we I used to do that. Um, dismiss it because it's just a story. But then you fast forward and yeah, like there's all these incredible stories of all these spiritual extremely spiritual people who tap into things that we can't explain. And that's normal reality. Look, we're in the dream. We're in the subdued kind of like lower bandwidth of existence. These people are existing in a higher bandwidth, but we can all get there. Every single human being on earth has the potential to get there. Right? Yeah. I like the sound of that. <laughs> <laughs> well, the cool thing about your book, which is, again, an incredible book, is that the reader learns as you learn. Like, it's the story of your life. You're unfolding, you're blossoming, you're metamorphosizing all of those wonderful words. And as you're reading it, you know, you're, you're gaining that, that knowledge that comes from each step in the development process. But as you were experiencing this, as you started to have these experiences, you went to intuitives more to find deeper meaning in life. Tell me about that. Yeah, I I uh, hit this crisis point, and um, you know, and I, I was having an existential crisis of well, why do we go to work every day? Is this what all life is? You know, kind of like what is the point of all of this? And you know, of course, casual. Uh, whatever. <laughs> I'm sure everyone asked themselves that at some point. So yeah, but I was, it was getting a crisis point for me for some reason, and then. Um, my, you know, I just had readings from my mom, which were interesting, but my friends, I, we live in LA and my best friends had gone to psychics before and, um, a few of them and they, you know, believed in it and were, and I were totally, they were totally comfortable believing in it. And I would roll my eyes, even though I was getting readings from my own mom. <laughs> but, um, so at this crisis point, they told me like, why don't you come with us to one of our, you know, our psychics and, um, you know, these were people who they, they vetted, I guess, or felt like they actually, one of them, like one of my friends, she turned one of my friends away twice. Cause she said she couldn't read her energy and she didn't want to take her money. And so then they really trusted her. So I went, I went with them and we, we, we all went and we would take notes at first we would take notes. And then we ended up going back a bunch of times and we started recording the sessions um, and taking notes and comparing readings because I was starting to get curious, like maybe they are vague things that they're saying, like, who knows? Um, this is a different context than what I had with my mom. Like I'm paying this person, right. you know, maybe they want me to come back. So we started, um, doing that and, and like, um, switching with, with each other. And they were pretty specific to each of us, to each individually. Like, and we also noticed that some of us were more open than others and would get deeper readings. 
So like one of my friends was super spiritual and she's, oh, I wrote about her in the book, but she's always approached by psychics and mediums. And every time she goes for a, a reading, like psychics give her so much information. And then one of my other friends was like very closed off and would always come away unimpressed, you know, from the readings being like, oh, she didn't say anything that was. So we noticed all these like interesting variables, you know, to me, I was like, this is so interesting. But I, I noticed that that some of the things that they said to me were so specific to my past with really details of like cities and names and body parts and like things that had happened from my childhood, that there's no way that they could know you can't find it online. Like, I've never talked about it. I never will. (laughs) Um, Things, you know, that there's no way that they could know and, and they knew. And then that's when I knew I was like, Oh, this is this is something. And so then as a neuroscientist, I was like, where is information coming in from? And right. and like, how, how does it come into their body and into their senses and into their consciousness? And how does it feel for them? And I just became curious in all those kinds of questions. Wow. Yes. Because that information does come from outside sources, whether it's the Akashic records, like there's some energetic storehouse, or if it's just consciousness itself and all information is entangled in some quantum way, I'm not really sure, but it is coming from outside and you have to tune into it. And some people are born with this incredible ability to tune into it, but every human can be trained to tune into it because it is our natural state to perceive that information. Yeah. Yeah. So I just got curious about that and started interviewing them. And then I started um, reaching out. I I didn't think there had been any research done on this. So (laughs) at first uh, I didn't, I think that was a possibility, but then I I heard this um, interview and like, I wasn't reading anything spiritual yet at the time. I was just going to these readings. But then coincidentally, I was listening to Chelsea Handler's podcast and she had a psychic medium on and, but Chelsea was a skeptic. And so I was like, oh, this is interesting. And then the psychic medium was Laura Lynn Jackson. And she mentioned this institute that had tested her. And she's like, I work with scientists. So then I scrambled and I was like, what scientists? Like, what is this institute? (laughs) What work have they done? You know, like maybe they already have the answers that I'm seeking. Yeah. yeah like they have the, the research, the data, it's all right there. Yeah. So yeah, I reached out to the, one of the co-founders and he gave me a huge reading list and, and told me, you know, of course he's real. He said it's real and it's, we've been studying it for hundreds of years and there's a lot of evidence. It's just not mainstream. It's hard to find. So he gave me a huge reading list. And then when I started doing that, started uh, diving into those and pulling up the actual scientific papers, because I can read them, you know, it's like, let me see, <laughs> let me read it myself. Sure. Um, yeah. And then I was, and then I was like, he's right. Oh my God. Like there's been a lot of research done and it's used a lot of methods that we use in normal neuroscience and psychology. There had been so many studies that there had been meta-analyses, what we call and reviews, which is when you pull a bunch of experiments together and like look at it as a whole and then looking at effect size. So, I mean, it was pretty legitimate and I was like, okay, if there's, if there's this much evidence for it, you know, either our statistics and our experimental methods are wrong um, or (laughs) it's a real phenomenon. And since the only, the evidence for it doesn't only come from lab experiments. It comes from real life, you know, and in fact, real life experiences, it's way, there's way more evidential of it. Um, for me, that was convergence of evidence, how I think of it in my mind. So for me, that was, it was settled, but 
you know, for people who have a harder time with it, scientists, I say, okay, then, then our experimental methods and our stats need to be revised and looked at. And if you're going to put psi, they're called psi studies in the yes, literature. If you're going to put them through the ringer, then you have to put our research through the ringer too, because the level of, that they go to debunk those studies is in really intense when we have so many <laughs> psychology studies that are like total garbage. Well, that's the thing. You know, you bring this up in your book a lot, and I wanted to cover this. You do say, as a scientist, that science is a cult. You said that several times in your book, and a cult would dismiss contrary information that does not fall within the mainstream thinking, the mainstream paradigm of that field of science. This other data set, now you're saying this is authentic scientific data. It's been vetted itself. I mean, the methods are the same methods that they use to generate data in other situations. So the methods are there. The studies are there. It's real scientific information, but the cult aspect kicks in and rejects that data. It debunks that data. It creates actually even fake science in some cases to debunk that data because of the danger, the potential danger to the thinking. What do you think about all that? Yeah. I mean, as a former <laughs> person who would have done that, it's it's not that it's intentional or nefarious. It's mostly that they're, they, you don't know about the literature, just like I didn't know it existed. You don't know it exists. And then if someone sends you the review, most of us are so too busy to even read all the papers in our own fields. Like people rarely are like, yes, let me read a paper from another field. Like I don't have time, you know, I'm like suffering as it is. So if you're not interested in it, right, it's hard. You, you're you not aware of the research. If someone sent it to you, you're, you may not be interested. Imagine like you have to be motivated to read like a boring paper, you know, right. um, like to plow through it. And then when you read it, uh, that's what I'm saying, though. If they did read it, they, it would raise some eyebrows. Um, and, but again, they don't have time to sit and be upset about it because it's like I have to go back to grant writing and I have to go back to paying my graduate students. Um, but if if they did, the other problem is is that is what I mentioned at the at the top of this interview, which is that we assume scientific materialism, which um, part of that is like physicalism is focusing on new newtonian physics which is more not quantum physics right which is more so people will say it's not possible because it goes against the laws of physics but that's not true <laughs> it goes against maybe the newtonian ones but it's totally in line with quantum physics so um and we don't know everything in physics anyway there's like new theories literally being proposed daily and a lot of them are suggesting there's like no space time and reality isn't real or we don't perceive it as real and so anyway, I, the point is like neuroscientists don't spend a lot of time thinking about physics and reality, right? We're focused on the brain. And so if you give them a paper like that, it's hard for them to understand because they don't, that's why you need that whole, like, actually, we need to back up even further to the philosophy of science. And you have to address that first before your your mindset can even understand what's happening. So believe me, and I went through all this and it was like a, a whole other crisis. It was like a new crisis. <laughs> My existential one was out the window and I had an identity crisis and then I had multiple crises at once. So I, yeah, it's not um, nefarious. It's also like, I also just see it as like egos. I mean, the most uh, of it's egos. Okay. Like scientists love being smart people. I say this is one <laughs> who, who loves being smart and loved pretending that I knew everything. 
And like the last thing I wanted was for someone to show me something I didn't know or understand. Like we don't like, you know, they don't like that. It, it, and it takes, it's just, it's not an attack on them. It's that's the way we are. That's the psychology it, of humans, right? right. Like it's the paradigm. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I mean, I, I don't, I think when I was going through it, I was like, you know, attacking myself, my old self, I was like, God, open your mind, you know, but then now, now that I'm at the other end, I mean, I, I just, I understand that, that they don't have the time and stuff for it, but there, if there is somebody who's looked at everything and just won't admit it, I mean, that's, that's real. Problem. There are people that have done that though, that are actively suppressing some of this information for what ends. I mean, it's probably not everyone, but it does happen. I would say, you know, yeah. there mm -hmm. it, it's, it's just sure. like the book forbidden archeology span with Michael Cremo and that field. It's the same way. There's all of these archeological findings that seem yeah. to dispute our human history. And yet it gets suppressed there as well. So tell me mm -hmm. though, about then your journey into discovering reincarnation Many Lives, Many Masters, the book changed your life. Let's tap into yes. that a little bit. Yeah. So that came from the same podcast interview between Chelsea Handler and I love Jackson. podcasts. We love podcasts. They're the best. <laughs> oh my God. That one podcast um, episode, <laughs> which was, you know, like, again, like it just um, fell in my lap because I wasn't trying to read anything spiritual. So in that, in that episode, Lord, I think they just mentioned the book in passing, kind of like Many Lives, Many Masters. Everyone should read it. It's such a great book. And then Chelsea tells this funny story of how she got in a fight with someone, like one of her friends was telling her you should read it. And she got in a fight with them over dinner being like, that's stupid. That's ridiculous. That's not real. I'm not going to read it. And then she like right after dinner, got on a plane to fly to L.A., and the book was in the the what's it called the seat um, pocket in the mm -hmm. seat in front of her, and so she read it on the way home, on the, right after getting into this fight with her friend. And then she's like, "This book is amazing. Everyone needs to read it." So I heard them saying this, so I ordered it, and they said it was a psychiatrist case study. So I ordered it. I didn't think it was spiritual, um, although I should have known from the context of the conversation. But I ordered it. It arrived, and I started reading it, and. And I, it's, you know, Brian Weiss was like a Yale and Columbia educated psychiatrist, a atheist, a skeptic, a didn't, wasn't interested in anything paranormal. And he tells the story of this patient that he sees, um, he's trying to heal her, tries regression, and she spontaneously starts describing past lives. And then, but the important part is that she starts healing while she, she'll tell the story of a past life, you know, die in some horrible way. And then when she comes back, it relieves her of some current day symptom, like being scared of the dark or being scared of drowning or anxiety or whatever, and where no other treatment had helped her before. So nice. I was really interested because, uh, because if you read the book too, it's like a, just a, it's like a cute, because it's short, like cute little introduction into the topic. Um, because he's kind of like confounded too. Like, he's like, I don't know what's going on. Like, I'm just going to record the session and she's healing and I don't know why it's happening. Um, and then he just goes with it. You know, he's like, we're, we're just going to do it. It's healing her. Um, and then in the sessions, he has these quote unquote master spirits come through her. And yes. I just thought it was so interesting because he, then he gets these messages delivered to him and then she doesn't remember it. She doesn't even believe in reincarnation. She's Catholic. So all this weird stuff happens in the book. And I can't remember 
I think he mentioned something about psychics or he mentioned like they made, I can't remember exactly what it was, but there was something about the master spirits that, um, they, um, oh, that I remember it was him, them telling him like you, uh, souls choose to come to earth to learn lessons and, um, you come back again and again. So you reincarnate. And Laura Lynn Jackson had told that on the podcast and now I was reading it in the book and in all of the psychic readings that I had gotten, they had mentioned that, but it went over my head because I didn't know anything about reincarnation. So in the readings that I got before I even heard this podcast, they would say things like soul group, this is a soul lesson or, and I would just ignore it. Cause I was like, I don't know what that means. <laughs> like it just went over my head. Um, but I remembered that they would say things and I'd be like, Oh, they would say this happened. This is a past life thing. And I would be like, what? <laughs> um, I don't know. Like I, I was like, Oh, okay. So I guess if you believe in reincarnation, that's what that would mean, but I don't. So, so then after I heard them talk about the podcast and I read it in his book, and then I was like, wait a minute. So I went back to my readings to put them into this new context of understanding um, of this spiritual framework of like, Oh, like we're allegedly, uh, we're allegedly souls and we come back and we learn lessons and it's to evolve. And then the readings made a lot more sense <laughs> with that context. I mean, it, that, so, it, that is the true story though. I mean, that is yeah. the human experience. We are these souls. You go through cultures, you have these psychedelic experiences as humans. Like you, you go there, you understand that we come back again and again and again. And yeah, so I got curious about right. it yes. and I started reading and I was like, this is interesting. <laughs> There's a lot of, yeah. Well, it really raised your frequency. It opened you up a little bit more. It raised your consciousness. You are now perceiving and adapting this new information about reincarnation. That's an evolutionary process. This whole book is an evolutionary process. It's actually the story of your evolutionary process. And it's so beautiful. I absolutely yeah. love it. And I just wanted to touch on really quick is the Bodhisattva aspect. The Bodhisattva. Do you know about that? I think so. Okay. So, oh, praise God. Praise the mystery. I, I love that I get to tell you this. The Bodhisattva in Buddhist tradition is the person that goes through the life cycles over and over and over and gets to the nirvana stage, ready to go. They're saying, hey, you can come in, come on in. And the mm -hmm. Bodhisattva says, wait, I could, but I'm not going to go until we all go. And then they come back and they reincarnate as powerful people, the bodhisattvas, who lead people, who help to raise people's vibration, who choose to help people evolve so we can all get to nirvana, the bodhisattva. I didn't know that. I, <laughs> I can't believe I get to enlighten you on that. <laughs> Definitely take the deep dive. That's something that you talk about a lot in this cool. book is as you came into contact with these new concepts, you had that spark you felt that charge when you received the information so then you would take the deep dive and you took several deep dives pretty much when you had each individual experience yeah 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 i would like it was like a um well you know honestly it felt like before this which is why i was in an existential crisis is because it felt like my soul was dead or <laughs> it felt like nothing excited me anymore and then suddenly um these topics were like filling me with excitement and passion that I hadn't known for a long time. 
And, but then that's where the identity crisis came in because I was like, I can't, uh, cause I had such a strong scientist ego and so much self value and worth tied up in that, that I was like, um, I can't believe this excites me. I was so disappointed in myself. I was so, um, yeah, I was, it was hard. It was hard. I was like, I can't believe this is what I'm interested in. And it, but it, and it was interesting because it was genuinely the only thing that was interesting to me. And it would like, like I said, it would, it was like my soul was aflame with excitement. Well, that, that's <laughs> it just was so confusing. Well, you're in the matrix. Look, you're in the false reality, the reality that humans created that's on top of a reality that already existed. That's the earth's reality, the universal reality, the true synchronistic reality of the universe. This reality that we're in now, the human created world, it's an illusion and it only exists because all of us together are co-creating it. We're all agreeing in a holographic way, a quant yeah. like a quantum hologram. We're all agreeing that this is reality and it has to be that way. And that's the only thing. The only problem is as humans, we forgot, most of us have forgot that we built that on top of something. And we think that our thing is the only thing in town and it's not. Yeah. Yeah, that was hard. It took a while. It took a while to integrate. It took a very long time to integrate and be okay with it. And, um, but I'm glad it, that it, yeah, it, it worked out because it was very, very exciting. And I kept diving deep and sharing it with others because I was too excited to not share. <laughs> I, I, that's usually what happens when you get involved with these universal truths and they activate you, they raise your vibration, you evolve, you naturally as a loving human, as a being literally made out of love, you want to help other people evolve. You want to share that love. That's the Bodhisattva. That's that energy of like, let's all get there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I, I have flipped a few people around me. <laughs> I bet. I bet. Your energy is really awesome. It's just beautiful. It's radiant. I feel like everyone around you feels like they love being around you, right? Is, is that something you hear a lot? Um, I hope so. I think so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's definitely better now than it was before. I mean. Well, one thing I wanted to ask you is as you were developing, I'm reading this book and I'm getting your story as you were developing, did you notice, and especially when you were reading about all of these studies that the government did and the various side research that's been going mm -hmm. on, did you feel your own perceptive abilities expand? Did you feel like you started to pick up information from other people in that way? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I opened up a lot. I mean, I had always had precognitive dreams, but I ignored them. Um, and then, or they kind of died down or I ignored them. I'm not really sure, but somewhere, you know, after my scientific training and then they came back, um, full force. <laughs> um, and then my, I started learning tarot cause I was really interested in the symbolism. And for some people that I read for, uh, they tell me it's like crazy. Like what I'm saying is like, um, I, and like, I don't know. Right. But apparently whatever I say resonates with them and is like very on the mark. And I've also definitely my sleep. So we, I've been, there's been a few instances where I've had dreams that when I wake up are like sticking on to me and like they, I can't stop, you know, thinking or the energy or whatever. And then I'll just tell like the next person I see, which will be like, a, I was hiking with a friend one day or one time we were on a trip with a, one of my friends. 
oh, sorry, it was a group of friends. Um, and then one of my friends, I told her the dream. Anyway, the person I tell, usually they're like staring at me like I'm crazy because whatever the dream was, it was for them. It was like something going on in their life. <laughs> um, and that they're like, how did you like what? It'll be very specific to their to their lives. So, so you, you felt that expand and now you're doing tarot readings. Did I hear that correctly? Uh, um, I mean, just for, for people. Fun. Okay. For, no, just for my, for me and okay. my friends. <laughs> uh, your friends. That, those are other people. Well, yeah, for other, for them. <laughs> Not wow, man, yeah. you've come a long way. This is incredible, but there's still so much more to go. It never actually ends, by the way. It just keeps yeah. going from plateau to plateau to plateau. And just when you think you're right at the, wow, this is, this is really high up here. Then poof, it goes up a whole other level. <laughs> Yeah, I'm well, you can tell I'm curious how you uh, noticed your intuitive abilities or developed them or I was born with them. I you talk about this on the show very rarely, but I'll talk about it now. I do have my own intuitive abilities. I'm very psychic in the sense I'm good at reading people. And if people are upset, or if there's an emotional charge related to their thoughts, I pick that up really strongly, especially if it's related to me. And, uh, and you know, people, and I'm very empathetic. So I've learned over time to dial that in to where I could just kind of pull things out of people, read people's auras, read people's mm -hmm. energy. That's cool. And, and it just <laughs> developed over time. And as I was a young man, I was very interested in science fiction and concepts like that. And so, so I kind of reverse engineered my whole experience through fiction and just mm -hmm. being exposed to the concepts that were woven into the fictional stories. And then you go do more research uh, like you did. And then, uh, and then you find out those universal truths and that's part of it. But the interesting thing though, right. It's like all of these things, even science itself, they're all based on human perceptions. And just mm -hmm. because we, we are verifying it, based on our perceptions and we can say, yes, that's that way, or that's not that way. That doesn't necessarily mean it's correct in the universal sense because it's all being filtered through the human experience. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And that's one of the, I mean, that's one of the key points of neuroscience too, for sometimes dismissing these anomalous or exceptional human experiences is, because one of the key takeaways is the brain can't be trusted um, because it can misperceive things or it has filters, right? Like your the way you perceive your reality is not actually accurate because your brain, what happens is you have signals come in from your senses, but your brain interprets those, you know, signals and it interprets the way it interprets is based on its past experiences, right? Like, and just as like an example from childhood or something, like if you had an alcoholic parent or I don't know, whatever, you had like a chaotic childhood home where you had to learn to be attuned to people's faces, like you had to watch your parents' faces closely to see if they were in a good or a bad mood, then you grow up with that um, monitoring people's faces for subtle uh, changes in their mood. And then as a result, you can miss things in your periphery. So that's, you know, one way where a past experience fine tunes your attention and your perception in your adulthood. So, and you have a lot of that going on from your entire, you know, childhood. And then even everything that you go through today, you know, new things can condition you. So your brain, it's all interpreted. And so it's kind of like, uh, that's why in neuroscience, we, we never trust our brains really. But then 
at the same time, um, we say that our perceptions are are only our perceptions are the truth, and and it's, it's kind of <laughs> it's very contrary, <laughs> I would say. Yeah, and that's what mm. you were talking about in your book as the perceptual blindness, right? Yes, yeah. The perceptual or it's only blindness, perceptual yeah. blindness. Your brain only sees what it wants to see. I have some wonderful mm-hmm. notes here. I always take notes when I read guest books, just so I really touch on all the things that that you uh, talked about. So you realize now, though, that you're not your body. You're in your body, right? And mm-hmm. you is living lights, right? And it's energy that doesn't die. You figured that out. What do you think scientists would say about that? The brain is just a mechanism. It's a, it's a filtering me- mechanism yeah. for that living light to exist within the framework of the body, within the third dimension on this planet. Yeah, it's hard. So when I was learning all this stuff, that was the hardest thing to swallow. I remember when I read it, I was like, nope, we're going to draw. I'm not going to, this is where I draw the line. (laughs) Um, And it took, it took a lot of reading and it took, it took a lot. It took, um, actually, I think William James, I had to go back to William James, who is a famous psychologist. He's actually even in classic neuroscience, he's considered the father of modern day psychology. I had to go back to him because we talk about him so much in normal neuroscience and they completely edited out the fact that he was into um, altered states of consciousness and that he went to seances and that he was a part of the society for psychical research and that he was interested in all of these things. So I was like the father of modern day psychology was so much more open-minded than modern day psychologists and neuroscientists. So I had to go back to William James um, who uh, with Aldous Huxley and like um, a lot of these, earlier thinkers proposed that model that maybe consciousness is an energy or something that filters uh, through the brain. And when you take something like psychedelics, it's blown wide open. Um, And I think that because of the psychedelic renaissance now, I've been look, I I write a newsletter about all this stuff. So I try to keep up with the literature and there's, um, there's new models being proposed about consciousness, which are not like material or they are, some of them are materialists, but there's new models basically saying like, like the, you know, maybe there's a field of consciousness and maybe it interacts with our physical brain. Um, so there's all these models being proposed in in academically peer-reviewed science that's amazing you know i I laugh because from my perspective that's like so 101 that's like so like basic like it's like it's like saying oh we we're we're just about to found find out that that water's wet it's like we're going to do all these studies to find out that water's wet it's like (laughs) it helps it helps to have these papers and models though because it's like you know it's hard to say hey william james believed our brains are filters or whatever. It's hard to go, it's hard to like propose these ideas and take, have people take them seriously without a model. Cause they'll be like, how, how right. does the brain filter it? How does it come in? Because we're so physical. It, I mean, and I mean, wouldn't we want to know? I mean, truly. Like, there of must course. Be a way I mean, understand. I love the mechanics behind <laughs> yeah. it. I mean, the, the metaphysics, so, you think of the yeah. metaphysics, the physics of meta God, whatever that spiritual thing is. But I think that, um, so yeah, there are some really interesting models being proposed now. And I think with the psychedelic renaissance, um, like I was just reading a paper the other week that was so, I just so appreciated that they even said this, that they were talking about the phenomenology of 
ayahuasca experiences, which means the people's subjective experience of it. Like, how do they describe the experience? And in the introduction, they even said, like, you know, in these reports, people say that they encounter entities, that there's other dimensions, and da da da. And they say, we are not saying that we agree with that, but we are saying that we admit that science doesn't know everything. And just like we couldn't measure microwaves in the past, there may be things we ha- we can't measure yet. And I was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like a paradigm. paradigm. Oh, that was incredible. That Yes, it's a paradigm shift. I can't believe we just yeah. said that at the same time. Look, we're, well, we're on the same frequency. We match each yeah. other's frequency. That's why we're in the same place because we are that living energy. And that is how we show up here and it's and psychology i mean yes all of those incredible people did create it in the western mind but all of that psychology can be backed up to hermetic philosophy yeah if you study hermetic philosophy and hermetic teachings it's all there which comes from you know whatever was before that yeah (laughs) and i've had this conversation too with other scientists who are and there's a lot there's a lot of i've found huge communities of scientists who you know uh, have had what they call emergent experiences. And uh, it's a common topic of conversation oh, to, to say, hey, Western science is pretty arrogant. <laughs> we keep refinding things that, <laughs> you know, was already in the text uh, millennia ago. We just keep, we we act like it's a new knowledge um, and like it's a new finding, but it's really not. And that, that is the arrogance of Western science. Um, but you know, but that's okay. It served a purpose. I mean, yeah. there, it, it had a function. It has a function. It just needs to adapt the new information. That's all. Yeah, totally. there, there's nothing yeah. really wrong with the methods. The only issue is when it gets stagnant and it decides yeah. not to evolve with the new information. That's yeah. the biggest thing, but that's okay. Science. We need it. Look at, look at what it's given us. The only reason I'm yeah. able to have yeah. a zoom conversation right now <laughs> in real time is yeah. because of science and the wonderful uh, inspiration that humans received yeah. and inspiration is divine itself. I mean that ch- it's channeling, you're channeling something from somewhere else into your mind and then bringing it into form. I mean, inspiration yeah. itself is coming from yeah. the divine. So you can't, it's all really, <laughs> it's all yeah. that, whatever that and is. I thought about that too, in terms of our society too, and this idea of um, progress and tradition or like, you know, um, I don't know, progressive reform and kind of traditionalism. And it's, you see that and you need that, right? You need that tension because you can't stay stuck in the past forever, but you also can't have things progress too rapidly because people just can't keep up or like, you know, you'll have ideas flying, floating away before you have a chance to to use them. (laughs) So it's like, you kind of need that tension. Um, And this happens. There's like a famous book about, forgot what it's called um uh something about the scientific revolutions i should know uh thomas kuhn or something but anyway it's it's about like how um switches and paradigms in science take generations because uh basically the old scientists have to die (laughs) because they won't change their minds sadly and it just you know like you there constantly are new paradigms in science it just takes generations a little bit to flip Well, perhaps with that psychedelic renaissance that you're talking about, and I live in Oregon, so, you know, uh, those substances are decriminalized. What were once 
long-term jail felonies are now not. So we're in a psychedelic renaissance here. I know you're in LA. It's like that there. I mean, the entire West Coast, Canada, Colorado, all of these places, perhaps when we have that renaissance, that will coincide with quantum leaps of science, like quantum leaps instead of generations will all just be evolving at this very high speed. Yeah. I just wrote last week in the newsletter, I wrote about this and I kind of posed the question, like, are we ready for all of the worldview flips that are about to happen with psychedelics? Because I read this paper that like, it was pretty well known, but someone actually did the correlation and published the paper that if you take a psychedelic, you are likely more likely to have non-physicalist beliefs. Like you come back with ideas that there are alternate realities, that spirits may exist, that consciousness survives death, that plants have consciousness, you know, whatever. You come back with these ideas that are not physicalist. And um, there's a lot of metaphysical worldview flips that happen on psychedelics. And they also found a correlation in an improvement in well-being and mental health with that. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So the more, yeah, the less scientific materialist, the less you believe in materialism, the happier you are, which I've been saying since I wrote my book. But um, I think that we are about to see that. I think we are about to see a lot of flips and we'll see what happens. Well, many of my guests that I've had on talk about this, I've had world-renowned guests that have talked about many of these subjects. We're moving into a new octave of existence. It's a new earth where, guess what? That thing that we were talking about where you identify with light as your con- like you're a living light, we're all going to be there. And when we're all identifying as light and we realize that we're just in these vehicles, that's what unites the earth. That's what brings us together. That's because it doesn't matter where your ancestry is from. It doesn't matter if you're a man, you're a woman, your gender, your age, if you're disabled, if you're not disabled, like, none of that matters. Our commonality, the thing that unites us is the fact that we're living light. And when we all get that as humans, when we all awaken to that understanding, that's when we activate the united earth. That's when we are all together in love with each other. And it's going to be an incredible place. And that actually is our destiny. That's exactly where we're going. Well, sounds lovely. We're, we're there. I mean, we're already there. We just have to expand our awareness to process that other information that's there. The information's there. We're just not able to process it, but we expand our processing ability. Then we can integrate that new information. We're going to be there. There's a magnetic field. The earth itself has its own magnetism and it's moving forward. We're just kind of part of it. Right. So like evolution, life is for expansion and further expression. Right. So like we're always expanding. We're always expressing ourselves in a more fuller way, even individually and as a species and the whole planet. Yeah, I like it. I bet you do. Because you talked about your psychedelic experience. I just want to touch on this a little bit. You took some LSD. You mentioned this in your book and you had an incredible experience, Mm -hmm. right? And you feel like that also helps you evolve a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. When I hit the, someone told me when I was doing my interview, someone had said, have you looked into psychedelics? And I was like, what do you mean? And they're like, well, a lot of paranormal things can happen when people are on psychedelics. And I was like, what are they talking about? Because I didn't know anything about psychedelics. Sure. So I went to do another deep dive. So I went and read the entire literature on psychedelics. And I was so blown away by how healing these drugs, drugs, I mean, these medicines were how, um, you know, how much more they, they were than what, 
we've been told or what I knew from my generation and from society. Like I thought that they were just hallucinatory drugs. And I was like, why would anybody want to take that? And then I read the literature and I thought, oh my God, like this is crazy. Like people come back from, especially the recent um, research shows that people come back and they'll describe this experience they had on a psychedelic as the most spiritual and meaningful experience of their life, usually top five, above having a child or the death of a parent. Right. <laughs> like that powerful. And I just, when I was, and healing, like he improves depression, improves anxiety, improves PTSD. And so I was like, how, you know, how could this be? Um, so I was like, oh, I have to try it. <laughs> so, so I tried. Um, I was also interested in, in the 50s, 60s, and 70s before they were banned. Apparently these were used by psychiatrists widely yes, yes. and they, you know, they had, there was a manual online. I found like the LSD manual for therapists and you take it and it like um, allows access to all your uh, subconscious beliefs. And you can just ask yourself, what do I need to face right now? And you'll get an answer. So I was so curious. I was like, I got to try this. So I, yeah, I got some LSD, had a friend uh, with a friend that we actually, she, she just uh, babysat me nice. and, uh, and yeah, I did it. And then it was, it was, um, it was crazy. I mean, the psycho the psychology part of it worked. And I, I think I wrote about that in the book. Yes. If I didn't, I, I okay. Yeah. I, I wrote about it in the newsletter for sure. And like, I, it was true. I just said, what's my biggest problem right now? And I got an answer <laughs> like, and clear, like a very clear answer. Um, but then I understood also like how everything was alive. Like I felt interconnected to everything. I felt so much love. I'm already an emotional person because I'm a Pisces, but um, the emotions were like amplified a million. And I was like amazed at like what humans can experience. And I had never thought about that before. <laughs> like it totally changed my experience as a human being. When I came back, I was just like, wow, like I've never even thought about experience or the depth of an emotion or the range of emotion or how it connects me to others. And all of that happens, you know, on the psychedelic and also felt energy up and down my spine and through my body to the point where I had to move and dance to get it out. Um, <laughs> and I had never felt anything like that before. Wow, so it, this it is was cool. just a really beautiful experience. Yes. It sounds beautiful. I mean, it's, I'm glad you had that experience, but I want to point out in your book that you sense something because in your studies of learning about various topics, the paranormal, the psychedelic, all of these really cool topics, you learned that fairies, elves, and gnomes were real and they are but you noticed that during your LSD trip, you did not have that experience. Oh, but I'm goodness. here to tell you something. You yeah. will have that experience as I have had that experience if you smoke DMT. It's, the LSD isn't going to get you to the elves. The DMT gets you to the elves. Mm, I've and, since, yeah. And have well, you, I haven't done it, but I've, learned, I've read. I've read that that's... Okay, yeah. look, that's, have you taken any other uh, psychedelic journey since then? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've done shrooms. Okay. I did, I did five methoxy DMT, which was like, um, yeah, the, the toad stuff. Yeah. Yeah. The toad, uh, which, which was insane. I bet. I bet it was mind blowing that I've only done that once in my life. And I had a complete uh, near death experience. I yeah. went up, you know, and they said, Hey, a, it's not your time. Uh, you got to go back. And because yeah, I had a near death experience too. Wow. Wow. What was great about that was that it was the, um, I had the ego death, the yes. like, I didn't exist anymore. I became all of the universe, all of space and time. 
And that was cool too, because that was, again, like all of these experiences you get on psychedelics, you can't imagine them like before in your normal 3D reality. You can't imagine it. And just that is incredible. Like, and then you come back and it's hard to talk about it because you can't put it into words. But just the fact that you felt like I wasn't a body, I was everything, you know, and it stays with you forever. Forever. yeah, forever. It's it's crazy. Um, and mind expanding, literally, right? I mean, yes. you, you you view things and experience things differently. So I, I mean, I think 5-MeO-DMT is extremely powerful. I think people should approach it with extreme caution. Yes, the other <laughs> but, form, the NNDMT, that yeah. is the one that will take you to the elves. That one, like you said, the it gives you that yeah. true experience because as you may know, DMT is stored in your brain. And brain, natives, brain. Native Americans, you know, when they do sweat lodge and things like that, that's how they activate the DMT in their brain. And then they have those extra dimensional experiences. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, so that's <laughs> yeah. that's how some of these mystical people are having these experiences seemingly without substances. They're figuring out techniques, whether it's extreme meditation or other methods, to activate the the best uh, substances that you can find, the one that's are, that are already built into your human body. Yeah, I would love to try um, and then DMT one day. And it's out there. It's various- legal. It's legal in Colorado. <laughs> You know, isn't it amazing? They legalized it. (laughs) And I highly, highly recommend it um, as a person. I've personally taken hundreds of LSD trips in my life and dozens and dozens of DMT experiences. I've never done ayahuasca or uh, some of the other things and shrooms, of course, but I was a big fan of LSD for a good stretch of my life. And it's very healing. It's very powerful. And it does cause a permanent frequency Mm -hmm. shift. You are. LSD, it doesn't really. Well, I'm just saying like your frequency, your, the, the, what you're vibrating as whatever that number is, or however you can quantify that, it it then changes that you're vibrating a different way. It's really, yeah. I mean, that's why I included it in the book because it was so important and so beautiful and so life-changing. And I mean, I really just think so truly important and you know, I wasn't the kind of person that would do something like that. I wasn't very open. I was very type A and very like, no, thank you. (laughs) Well, I'm glad you've come around because human beings throughout history, we've, we've evolved with these substances. It's just this current age, this human age that kind of creates the stigma around those things. Yeah. Yeah. I just saw a great talk by Jules Evans about ecstatic experiences and the awkward relationship that Western culture has with ecstatic experiences and how we don't understand them. And, you know, they're just labeled as illnesses and, you know, psychosis or whatever. It's medicalized in our culture, which is such a shame. Yes. Yes. Uh, there are some outlets in Western culture for the ecstatic experience, at least in America, there was, and still kind of is, there was this rock band that created a place for a magical ritual to take place with hundreds of thousands of people sometimes where people would collectively tens of thousands of people, maybe 50,000 people at a time would take psychedelics together at this rock concert. 
and they would focus on the act as a shaman and they, and the music itself became a shaman because it was mostly improvisational music and it would guide 50, 60,000 people into an ecstatic state. And of course there'd be tens of thousands of people dancing at every show. And that did happen in Western culture. Do you know who I'm talking about? The Grateful Dead. Yes. Very good. <laughs> I'm glad you caught that. That That is what happened in Western culture. There was an outlet for that. Yeah. But uh, alas, that's not as much anymore. Yeah. I wish I could have gone to a concert. <laughs> uh, the, 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 the scene, that family, that world still exists. There's other bands. We've, we've actually covered that on this show oh, episode okay. well, when I go back yeah episode. <laughs> episode 48 it's a good one and okay. Ram Dass tell me some of the people that you you've learned from on this journey you're you're coming to this place now you're you're actually way more developed than you were at the start of the book you're so much more developed what are you learning from now like where are you at Oh, yeah. Well, some of the spiritual... Oh, Ram Dass. I just loved Ram Dass. Oh. I found him early on. I mean, when I was reading about the psychedelic literature and then I found there's, you know, a podcast yes. run by his foundation. Or And I just... I just resonated with me. I just me love too. listening to him. He's so... <laughs> it's so approachable, you know, like um, sometimes... And I still feel this way. Um, sometimes the spiritual stuff can go over my head or... I mean, now I understand it a lot better. But it doesn't, it just didn't resonate with me a lot of it. A lot of it was just too like abstract or um, I don't know. It just, I just didn't get it. But with Ram Dass, he helped be that bridge. Um, he helped me understand these concepts better and the bridge between psychedelic experiences and spiritual experiences and like how it all ties together. So um, I still listen to him. I still listen me to too. him all the time. Yeah, because it's like it never you can re-listen to and you get something new from it every time. Um, but, you know, I still I still listen to them so that they seep in because I feel like I'm still not I don't I don't understand everything that they say. So I just keep listening. <laughs> That's how you learn. It's repetition. And then you integrate that new information. The evolution takes place. You go back with that new information integrated and you experience it in a different way. And then the other things that potentially you feel like went over right. your head, you're now processing because you've evolved. But it is kind of, and it is kind of like yoga. Like I remember my teacher, I have been doing yoga for many years and, you know, she always said, um, when we're doing a pose and you don't know how to do it, just try, just try. And then she's like, it doesn't matter. Like, you know, for 50, 50 sessions, you could try and not get the pose. And then, but every time you try, you're building something. And then one day it just happens. And I feel like that's true because I've experienced that in yoga, but it's also true with the spiritual concepts where it's like, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. And then one day something happens in your life where you're like, Oh, you know, like you have an epiphany of, Oh my God, I get it. Now I get that concept. Um, you know, and that has happened. So that's, I just keep listening so that keeps happening. Yes. I mean, that's myself as well. I mean, I never stop growing and the guests, sometimes the guests I have on radically changed my life because after the episode, after I have the recording, they've downloaded, they've given me so much information that I've actually grown from the experience. And that's happened dozens of times now. It's, it's part of the human experience. That's what evolution is. We're, we're here to evolve and we've got such an incredible destiny as humans. We're so amazing. We're this incredibly powerful being on this planet. No other being can do what we do. 
So we have to figure out how to tame that and use that to create a place for everyone, a, a place of love, right? Yeah, hopefully it would be a much nicer place than what we have <laughs> co-created currently. Well, it's just about integrating new information. Like you said, with that Renaissance, with other things happening, people will evolve. And then we just keep adapting. We keep adapting. Some people feel like there could be like a solar flare or some sort of situation that activates everyone's DMT in their brain at the exact oh, same wow. time. And, oh, then we, and then we have this massive, like truly frequency shift where all matter and everything moves to a different octave. We'll see. Yeah, we'll see. <laughs> that would be something. And you know, Man, your book was so dense. There's so many great things that you covered. I want to just really make sure that we talked about everything. Angels, tell me what you think about angels and tell me what you think about extraterrestrials because you did mention it in your book because you did do all of those deep dives. And now you know that it's real. They're here on this planet right now, like with us, they're here. And there's okay. evidence that's coming through mainstream sources all the time. You're seeing yes. it get released. What do you think about that? What do you think yeah. about now as a scientist? Now you have to integrate this new information of we're not alone in the universe. Yeah, I think that. Um, so it's funny because at the beginning or, you know, whatever, at the at the point in the journey where I intersected with this information, I was resistant to it. <laughs> and I was like, oh, I'm not the, the people I was speaking with would bring up UAPs, right? Unidentified aerial phenomena or whatever. And then they would talk to me about consciousness and all this. And I at that point, I was like, oh, no, 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 I'm not interested. <laughs> UAPs or UFOs, don't even bring it up. I was like, not not on purpose. I just genuinely didn't care. And I was like, if you start talking about it, my eyes will glaze over and you'll lose me. Um, but then I, I, yeah, of course, what did I do? I went to read more books because that's what I do. <laughs> and, um, I, you know, found that like, Carl Jung had talked about this. I found that there was all this literature, um, uh, thinking around UAPs and how, um, and consciousness and 3D reality and how our inner states are mirrored by the outer states. And so all of that literature started to help me understand, um, better how it's all connected. And, I think that once you, I think honestly, once you just think if you like, sometimes I just, if I, if I'm looking at reality and imagine all the forms dissipating into energy, um, and then imagine, you know, beyond 3d kind of like what you see on this, in a psychedelic state, a high one, what you see beyond that. Um, if you're, if you're looking at that, then there being other conscious entities is really not a big deal because what are the odds that we are the only ones here? You know, like fairly low, low, <laughs> low odds. <laughs> okay. So it's like not that big of a stretch, but then it's funny when you come back into 3d for me, this is how it is. When I come back into the 3d world and someone says to me, angels and aliens, I still cringe. And I'm like, Oh, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> but the truth is like, there probably are other beings. There probably are other dimensions and they probably uh, do interact with us in ways that we can't understand. Oh yeah. And, and <laughs> based on the fact that humans are not that bright, they probably are way smarter than us and we should probably listen to them. But 
you know, who knows? Well, we're just at where we're at. Like, you know, this is our stage of development. There are other civilizations out there. There's actually countless civilizations out there in the universe that are just farther along the path. And there are some that are behind where we're at all over the universe. And it's not that they're smarter. We're just here. But the thing is, is that we're literally on a ball of mud that's suspended by electromagnetic forces in an ocean of truly space, like space. And you look out and you see the stars, you know that like right behind me, you can see these stars. You know that every single one of them could be a solar system with planets. And you're talking an almost inquantifiable number. In fact, it's always expanding. Of course there's life out there. Of course there is. And they're just our family. We're just one family. And that's when we get that. Also, we shift from a regional consciousness, from earth consciousness to a galactic consciousness. When we don't identify as, well, I'm from like me, Portland. I'm from Portland. No, you're not from Portland. You're not from Oregon. Those don't even exist. America doesn't even exist. You're on earth. You're an earthling in a galaxy. That's what you are. That's galactic consciousness. That's part of our evolutionary journey as humans as well. Yeah. And and I think um, sometimes I think too of you know I read so many different theories sometimes that I'm just like oh my god I don't I don't know I don't know what's real but I like that story <laughs> like I have an energy healer that I go to and she will tell me like oh your light family is sending you like love and I like that idea I like it well we have ancestors ancestors i mean their energy doesn't die science will tells everyone that i mean they're all there guiding us our ancestors are our guardian angels perhaps we evolved maybe some people did make the choice to not be a bodhisattva and chose to go into that place and take on an angelic form i also i often think that that's what we should aspire to as humans let's let's try to act like angels let's raise our vibration let's raise our frequency to be that Yeah, that's beautiful thought. I like that. I agree. Yeah. (laughs) Well, we've had such an incredible conversation. Your book is so amazing. Uh, I just want to keep going, but I know we could go for probably hours. But um, let's tell people where to find you. Your website is monasabaniphd.com. So that's M-O-N-A-S-O-B-H. A-N-I-P-H-D.com. You can check her out there. You can find everything. She has this book, which gets my highest recommendation. I urge you to find this book on Amazon or wherever you get books these days Mm -hmm. and find proof of spiritual phenomena, a neuroscientist discovery of the ineffable mysteries of of the universe. I mean, with a title like that, you're already there. You're like, you have it in your hand, just complete. I actually read the Kindle version. And so it's out there as well. You can get it on your device. You know, it's the future. We have these devices. And I read the audiobook too myself. You, you, oh, you mean you read it? Like it's your voice. Yeah. It's my voice. <laughs> yeah. Cool. That's also another form. And she has a Facebook, Instagram that you can find out there. And she has a newsletter, it sounds like. You can definitely check that out. That's on the website, I imagine, right? Yeah, it's on the website. Mm -hmm. Okay. And, you know, we have so many listeners around the world. Your voice is going out to a lot of people 
in 163 countries. What would you like to leave people with? You had this journey. You you came from rational, three-dimensional reality, and you integrated new information. You evolved, you've expanded, you've grown, and now you're where you're at now. What would you like to impart to people? What, what would you like to tell people? Yeah. Um, well, my personal mantra now is just stay radically curious because um, I feel like that's what really allowed me to open up and to keep opening up. And every time that I think I have something figured out, I just remind myself that I probably don't. And that I should still stay curious and keep learning. And I try to, um, yeah, I try to tell people that because I think it's the best way to approach things is just curiosity. Right. Don't have a closed mind, right? Just keep all ideas and all awarenesses open. Really, you should just keep your perceptions in like a super position, right? You don't exactly agree don't disagree nothing's right, concrete exactly. you're just like in this superposition right that's that's, right. that's where we should be quantum well, state yes a quantum <laughs> state wow. well on that note i want to thank you for being here you've been an incredible guest thank you so much for having me it was very fun well we're gonna have you back of course this is just the beginning and people please check out this book it's so amazing check out her website because like I said, it's her story and you're going to learn about all of these different topics and what she learned as she's learning it. And if you know someone that's maybe on the fence that is being introduced to these concepts, maybe for the first time, give them Mona's book, let it be a guidebook for them. They might find something reflected back in that book that might help them grow faster. So do that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I wrote it for that. I mean, I, I wrote it as the book I wish I had when ah, I was going through this. <laughs> wow, well, we tapped into that right at the end, so that's amazing. Well, Mona, thank you for being here. Please hold through the outro music. And everyone, we will see you next week. Midnight on Earth.